Let's jump into God's Word. I'm going to tell you actually a story first. It was uh, the spring of 1999. Some of you might remember that. Others of you weren't alive yet. But spring of 1999, I was 18 years old. And so to save you from doing the math, that means I'm 41 right now. Anytime anybody does that, I'm always trying to figure out how old they are. 41. So spring of 1999, I'm 18 years old. And it was spring break coming up. And I... Uh, was a brand new believer, but made the choice for spring break to go to New Orleans, Louisiana, and spent every evening, uh, every night out on Bourbon Street. And you might be thinking, like, hey, I've heard of that place. Like, that's probably not a place for a new believer to be hanging out on their spring break. But if I told you the context of why I was hanging out on Bourbon Street, it was because I was on my first ever mission trip. We would do things during the day, and then in the early evening hours, our group would gather together and pray as we prepared to go out on Bourbon Street and share the gospel with people who came to Bourbon Street not to hear the gospel, uh, but usually to engage in all kinds of sexual immorality while being drunk or high, most likely. So that's, that's who we, that was kind of like our, our little mission field every evening. I was uncomfortable in that setting. But me and those I went with, after praying every evening, God would provide for us opportunities for conversations with all kinds of people. The majority of the people that we tried to engage in conversation had zero interest in talking to us. But I did get to talk to one young man, and we sat on a curb together. Uh, He heard the gospel. We prayed together. But there was another man, another response that I remember, is he came up to a different member of our team, and he took the literature that we had been handing out to share the gospel. He was wearing a black trench coat and catcher's shin guards, uh, and, uh, and he took the literature uh, that we gave him, and he put it in his mouth and chewed it for a while till it was good and wet, and then spit it on the ground, the whole time staring at us without saying a single word. Yeah, so so all varied responses to the gospel as we proclaimed it there on Bourbon Street. That was my first ever mission trip. We're looking in the book of Acts at Paul and Barnabas's first overseas mission trip. And like our team in New Orleans, Louisiana on Bourbon Street, they had been receiving a number of different reactions to the gospel as they proclaimed it. We started out in Acts chapter 13 a couple of weeks ago when they were in Antioch, the Antioch that's in Syria. There's the map. That's their starting point. They went to the island of Cyprus, saw some fruit there of the gospel ministry, then sailed north to what is modern-day Turkey. And we spent last week looking at a large chunk at the end of Acts chapter 13 where they were proclaiming the gospel in a different Antioch, Antioch in Pisidia. And as they proclaimed the gospel there, we've seen that they've kind of started this trend. When they go somewhere, their first stop is often a Jewish synagogue. And last week we saw them enter into this Jewish synagogue there in Antioch and Pisidia, and they opened up the scriptures and and argued from the scriptures, quoting lots and lots of Old Testament to prove that Jesus was indeed Israel's Messiah and Savior. And they had a a favorable response by many people who believed the gospel, yet many of the Jewish people turned against them. And so there was this kind of shift in focus in Target saying that all along God's intent was to to adopt Gentiles into his family. And now Paul and Barnabas' ministry is going to start to target the Gentiles 
more and more. So that's where we left off. They're in Antioch and Pisidia. Now today we're going to see them travel again to the area that I circled there in green. Iconium, Lystra, and Derby is where they're headed on the next leg of their first mission trip. So we're looking at Acts chapter 14. We're going to look at all of verses 1 through 18 today. But if you're able, would you stand? And what we're going to read while we're standing here is just verses 1 through 7, and then we'll look at 8 through 18 more uh, in the middle of the sermon. So let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for the freedom and privilege and security that we enjoy as we gather together. We are grateful people, and we're also busy people and distracted people and discouraged people, and so we need your Holy Spirit to be at work right now. I need your help. Uh, that I might communicate clearly what your word has to say, and we need your help that we might understand it and begin the work of applying it. Help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen. God's word, we'll read Acts 14, 1 through 7. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Jews and Gentiles with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Amen. You can be seated. Like I said, we're going to look all the way through verse 18 in the message. Inside, in addition to that bulletin insert, also inside your bulletin is uh, a sermon notes page, uh, which you can hopefully find useful, and then also a life group guide. Uh, We mentioned that our life groups are starting to meet. Some meeting already now this week, one met already last week, some starting the week after. Encourage you to get involved in one of those. One of the things you're going to do in those groups is you're going to not just, uh, not like sit and rehash a sermon, but having heard God's word and seeking to understand it, working then at the application of it, that it might affect the way that we live and the way that we think and the way that we feel and the way that we pray and all of those things. So um, that's in there as well. Here's the big idea today. Because all kinds of people need to hear the gospel, Paul and Barnabas meet the people where they are and keep on preaching. Okay? So we mentioned, because we saw last week, that the focus is going to increasingly be on reaching Gentiles, but that doesn't mean by any means that Paul and Barnabas have given up on reaching their fellow Jews with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when they leave the city of Antioch and Pisidia and go down to another city, they're starting, note this, they're starting, I just read it, in this city called Iconium. That's a city that was on a trade route. They often went first to cities where they knew they could find a lot of people and people that would have some influence, right? And they often always seemed to go first, if possible, to a Jewish synagogue. Have you picked up on that? And we can think about, well, why would Paul and Barnabas always start out at a Jewish synagogue if that was a possibility? 
Well, it's because that would have been something in a foreign land that felt very normal and comfortable to them. I remember in uh, 2016, Mark and I went to India and spent 10 days there. And I remember when we uh, ate from, I think it was a McDonald's in the airport uh, after those 10 days were done. And when you've been eating other food for a long time, something like a McDonald's, like I don't even like it here, but there it was like, oh, McDonald's, right? Uh, Because it was a familiar thing in an unfamiliar place. A synagogue would feel for Paul and Barnabas like a familiar thing in an unfamiliar place. In addition to that, there was kind of like already a lot of groundwork that would have been done with Jewish people or God-fearing Gentiles in a synagogue that was preparing them to be the kind of people who should be receptive to the gospel, right? So they would often go to a very comfortable place first, a synagogue, and meet with people there. That's what it says in verse 1. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So again, we're seeing God do this miraculous work of taking both Jews and Greeks who were unsaved, not children of God, living apart from him, and he has saved them. They heard the gospel and they believed the gospel and they're saved, right? So that happens and then this happens, verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Okay, So you've got a, a whole great number of people believing, but another group of people trying to use any power and influence they have to poison the minds of everybody else so that they don't hear the gospel and trust in Jesus. All right, so there's some opposition. What are Paul and Barnabas going to do? Verse 3. So... They got up and went to another city. Nope. What does it say? (laughs) Interesting. So everybody's like, it seems like people are turning against them, but it says, so they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. I think that's very interesting that that verse begins with the word so, right? People were poisoning their minds so that nobody would listen to them anymore. That's the goal of these people opposing them. So what did they do? They remained there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. This has happened before in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, right? That accompanying the preaching of the gospel were these signs and wonders that would get the attention of people. Verse 4, but the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Okay, this, is, this is not something that would have been surprising to Paul and Barnabas. Jesus had taught his disciples back in Luke chapter 12 this. I think we can put it on the screen. Jesus said this, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Some of you are thinking, well, that sounds like a family gathering, right? (laughs) But Jesus is saying, like, this is what's going to happen. I'm not coming, and when I come and the gospel is proclaimed and the kingdom of God comes, it brings about division, not always peace. But these guys stick with it. 
until this point. Read verse 5. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. Okay, so, so when there was opposition and everybody's against them and it's not comfortable anymore, maybe they didn't get invited back to the synagogue anymore, they stayed anyway, kept speaking boldly. But when it got to the point that their lives were in danger, people were attempting to mistreat them and to stone them, they were wise enough to recognize, okay, it's time to go. So now they leave the city and they're going to go somewhere that doesn't have a McDonald's, right? Somewhere that doesn't have a familiar place for them. They're going to Lystra and Derby and the surrounding countryside. It's not Judea and Samaria where they're going to understand the language of the people. They're in a foreign land now. They're not going to understand these people, their worldview, their language. What I love, verse 7. And there they continued to preach the gospel. We're going to find a way. Like, you might try to kill me here. That just means we're going to go over here and we're going to proclaim the gospel. So, so they continue to preach. They just keep on preaching wherever they go. More application at the end of the message, but just a quick point of application right now. Don't give up at the first sign of opposition. Maybe a coworker who seems unreceptive to your first attempt to talk about Jesus. Keep on preaching. A family member who has become very critical of Jesus and his church, keep on praying, keep on preaching. You know, there might be you know, this reality of people poisoning their minds. That's what they were doing here in verse 2. There was people like poisoning everybody's minds so that when they heard the gospel, it's like they didn't even want to hear it because their minds had been kind of poisoned. That, that happens probably more with all of the access we have now to all sorts of information. There's all sorts of ways to have our minds poisoned. It can come through YouTube, TikTok, a teacher, a whatever, right? But don't give up. Keep on preaching. I love that verse 3. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. More application later, but let's move on to this next section. Keep on preaching is point number one. And the second point is this. Meet people where they are. Meet people where they are. Verse 8. Verse 8 says this, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. So it seems, and we would know from history not knowing much about Lystra, because it was just a relatively small town. Iconium was on a trade route. Uh, Lystra's like a flyover town in the Midwest of America, right? Like a little town like Iowa Falls. Who knows about Iowa Falls, right? Not many people. Lystra, who knows about Lystra? Not many people, right? And so, so there, there's not, you know, because of its distance from Jerusalem and it's just a small town, Presumably, not any synagogue there. So how is Paul, and how are Paul and Barnabas going to get the word of the gospel out if they can't start out in a comfortable place like a synagogue? Well, here's what it says. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Sounds a lot like, I mean, when you hear, oh, there's a man crippled from birth, you're thinking Jesus in the Gospels. You might be thinking back to Peter in Acts chapter 3. So we've seen this before. We know that God has the power to get the attention of people in whatever way God wants to get the attention of people. And in this case, he uses a miracle, taking a man who has been lame from, crippled from birth, is now just standing up and walking because Paul told him to, right? 
So God getting the attention of the people. And now we're going to hear a little bit about the worldview of the people. When Paul spoke in synagogues to Jewish people and God-fearing Gentiles, he kind of understood their worldview, right? Because he was one of them. Paul was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, formerly a Pharisee, right? So he understood Jewish culture, Jewish language, Jewish worldview, right? He understood all of that stuff. And even though the Jews were always surrounded by people who worshipped multiple different gods, the Jewish people worshipped one God, maker of heaven and earth, right? So when a miracle was witnessed by Jews, that gave Peter or or Paul, an opportunity to just open up the Scriptures and show them that the Scriptures are pointing to Jesus. God is, you're, this, this God is the one who did this miracle, and this is who Jesus is, and they would share the Gospel. And they could speak to the people in languages they knew, like Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek, right? But that's not the worldview of the people in Lystra. It's a whole new ball game in this small town in what is modern-day Turkey. What we know about the town is that the people there were mostly illiterate and almost all Gentile, and they spoke a different language, most likely a language that Paul and Barnabas did not know. Now, how are they going to preach the gospel? Well, God starts by getting their attention through a miracle, and now Paul and Barnabas are going to get an introduction to the worldview of the people of Lystra. Look at verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the, chief, and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Well, that's an interesting turn of events. They're trying to proclaim the gospel, and all of a sudden, people think this is Zeus and Hermes, and they're trying to offer sacrifices to them. The the people's worldview is revealed. They don't worship the one God of the Bible. They worship many gods, and they're like, hey, we just got two more. They showed up. The priest of Zeus wants to come and offer sacrifices, so Paul and Barnabas are just Watching, observing, seeing all, they're probably not understanding everything because they don't get the language. Like, well, what's happening here? Right? And then look what it says in verse 14. Verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd. They're starting to understand what's going on. They tear their garments, rush out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? They're, they're getting a, okay. I think they're about to make a sacrifice to us, okay? So, so they're running out like, stop! What, why are you doing these things? And then listen to the message that they share. This sounds, no, notice as I read this, how this sounds a lot different than the message that he would share with Jewish people in a synagogue, okay? Jewish people in a synagogue, it's the, like the message we looked at last week. Lots of Old Testament quotations proving to them that Jesus is the Messiah and Savior. Now he's talking to these people that are trying to make sacrifices to them as gods. How are they going to talk to them? Look at verse 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men 
of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. I love how Paul can adjust his message and his approach. He's in an uncomfortable place. People are about to sacrifice oxen to him, and they're calling him Hermes. They're calling Barnabas over here Zeus. And so he knows, hey, you know what? This is not a time to you know, take him down the Romans road, open up the script. They're not going to get that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet them where they're at. <laughs> They've experienced rain. They've had food to eat. So I'm just going to start there. There's one God, maker of heaven and earth, right? And so, so Paul adjusts the message so that the people in this new context could hear him. He meets them where they're at. And he calls them to something. He tell, tells them, where is it, verse 17? No, uh, verse 15, where he says, you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Okay? He's looking around at what it is that they're worshiping. He's saying, turn from these vain things. These are empty. Turn away from that and turn to a living God. He's trying to introduce them to the God of the Bible. That's where he starts with them. Now, we don't know if, if uh, this is like just Luke's really short summary of Paul's message or if this is all that he got out before the mob comes to attack. That's a teaser for next week. We're not going to get there until next week. But the next thing that's going to happen is a mob's going to come. Okay? And so, so either way, all we have record of is a short little portion of this message, but it seems pretty well suited for the people that he's talking to. Verse 18, even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. I don't know if they even got to the gospel, if they understood the gospel or not. We're not told that here. They at least stopped them from offering sacrifices to them. That's how far they got with them. So, That's the passage for this week. Again, more next week. But two points of application for us as we look at this a little bit more. I love how Paul and Barnabas, led by the Holy Spirit, are learning to meet people where they are. They seemed way more at home speaking to fellow Jews and God-fearing Gentiles in a synagogue. Of course, that was comfortable for them. But now... In this area, with mostly illiterate pagans, they're also willing to speak boldly for the Lord. Let me just tell you this. Personally, I am, not, ever, not all of you would feel it this way, but I'm more comfortable standing in front of 150 of you on a stage with a microphone on my face sharing the gospel than I am in many other situations. Right? Perhaps you also have become comfortable talking about Jesus when you're in church. Like, you're okay in this setting. You're totally comfortable talking about Jesus, expressing your worship to Him. You're comfortable in a life group talking about Jesus. You're comfortable. Students, 
When you go to, like, you're going to the middle school, you're going to the high school, you're going to Rock Run or wherever you're going this week, you might not always feel comfortable talking about Jesus there. But when you come to Sunday school, you come to Awana, you come to youth group, all of a sudden, like, you're comfortable talking about Jesus, right? So there's places where we're naturally just more comfortable talking about Jesus. Now, I should say, some of you kind of come from a background where maybe, like, religion was this really private thing, so you're not even comfortable talking about Jesus in a life group or in a church setting yet. Here's my advice. Just practice. Like, there's lots of grace here. Just try talking about Jesus. Fumble through it. We need to grow in doing that. Do it where we're comfortable. But I would say this, too. I want to become more and more like Paul and Barnabas, who are willing to go to less comfortable places to share the gospel with people whose worldview I don't quite understand. Right? And I, I'm less comfortable there. How about you? Maybe that's the case for you as well. Story. We have the luxury of having a machine that takes our dirty clothes, we put them in, we push a couple buttons, and then our clothes are clean. Do you have one of those machines in your house? Yeah. So, so we have one of those machines, and recently it died. And there was a two-week gap between when our washing machine died and when the new one could be delivered. During that time, we made a couple of trips to the laundromat. And each time, God provided Kirsten and I with opportunities to have conversations with people that we probably normally wouldn't have had an opportunity to have a conversation with. One of those times, God opened up a door for me to share the gospel. And I did a really, really bad job. Like, if you would have listened to me trying to share the gospel with this person, at the, you would have been like, you're a pastor? Like, really? like, you don't sound like you even know what you're talking about. I was, I, see, what I was trying to do, I, I started out not just like, here's my gospel presentation. I, like, I just started out by asking a lot of questions, heard this person's whole life story, because we were in there until the laundry was done. So I just asked a lot of questions, heard the whole life story, and then the person asked me a question like, are you and your family pretty religious? Like, boom, open door for the gospel. Uh, yeah. Uh, so then I start talking, and that's when it all just kind of fell apart. Like I said some stuff, but it wasn't very good. And then the response was like, like okay, <laughs> all right. So, so I was in a setting that was a lot less comfortable for me. So thinking through that and watching what Paul and Barnabas are doing, I know that they weren't nearly as comfortable in Lystra as they were in Iconium in a synagogue. Yet they found a way to get to sharing the gospel, and so I thought, well, what what do we need to do? If you're like me, less comfortable in those things, three things I thought of. One, go there. We need to practice meeting people where they are. First, we need to go there. Like, meet them physically where they are. If you don't hang out with people who are unlike you, who don't know Jesus, find ways to go there. We even talked about maybe we just need to occasionally go to the laundromat. Like, even though we now have a working washing machine, just go there every once in a while and just talk to people for a half hour. Great opportunity right? So, so go where people are at. That's how the door opened for me, just listening, watching, observing, and asking good questions, okay? So a good gospel presentation doesn't start with you talking. It starts with you maybe asking a question and letting another person talk, right? Paul and Barnabas got to witness the worldview of the people in Lystra when they were trying to do all this stuff with sacrifices and that kind of stuff. We need to Watch the people around us that we might understand them and know how or where to meet them and where to start with sharing 
the gospel. So go there. Secondly, I would say pray. Pray before you go. Pray. I even did that. Like I knew I was blowing this in the middle of the conversation, so I just paused. I just prayed, like, God, help me uh, to say something here. And and it didn't, like, it didn't get immediately better. Like I said, I just generally blew it. But we need to pray before, during, and after those conversations. And then the other thing is just practice. Just do it. it it'll feel awkward, but make a bridge with them. Call them, like Paul and Barnabas did here, call them to turn from vain things to a living God. You get to know somebody a little bit, you're going to see the vain things that they are worshiping, and you can call them to turn to a living God, right? Uh, so maybe just a couple of ideas, maybe talk about that more in your life group. I want to be a church. I want to become a church that does a better job of meeting people where they are, right? We might have some people coming new to the church, new to youth group, new to Awana, and they've, they've had some church background, right? They're the people that would have been at a Jewish synagogue in Iconium, right? They have some church background. The, 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 the soil has been tilled, and it seems like, man, they're just ready. I hope that more and more our church has opportunities to meet people where they are. People that are like, man, I don't, I don't think they know much of anything about who Jesus is, about what the Bible is. Never heard the gospel, right? Let's be better at meeting people where they are. And then the final application point is this. Turn from vain things to the living God. It might not seem initially like we have a lot in common with the people in the small town of Lystra, a mostly pagan, illiterate people in the first century in modern-day Turkey. But Paul's message to them, turn from these vain things to a living God. I mean, like, well, I mean, I don't see anybody, like nobody's, nobody's ever accused me and Pastor Nick of being Zeus and Hermes. Neither of us have biceps that would cause anybody to call me Zeus, right? Um, right? So, so like, well, do, we don't worship idols like they do. Uh, well, or do we? Can we, in our culture that we live in, look around us, make observations and say, listen, <laughs> Americans, turn from these vain things to a living God. Right? I mean, you might only have to look as far as, like, say, a, you know, a big football game between two teams and see the amount of devotion we have, the expense we pay, the flags we fly, the gear we buy, the amount we talk about a group of people wearing a color and playing a game, which in the middle of it just seems like, well, that's what we do. But man, maybe if we take a step back, like, okay, that's fine to enjoy a game. But for how many people, it's like, this is, this is an idol. And our message could be turned from these vain things to a living God, right? John Calvin said the human heart is an idol-making factory, a perpetual idol-making factory. It's true. We live in a land where people may have some knowledge of the one true and living God, but in reality, we bow down to all kinds of idols. Success, money, popularity, pleasure. Like Paul and Barnabas with the people in Lystra, we need to call others to turn from these vain things to a living God. One thing I love about this passage is I love how quick Paul and Barnabas, once they realized what was happening, how quick they were to just deflect. Like, don't you dare worship us. They recognized, Paul and Barnabas did, what, what the people of Lystra didn't recognize. That is a distinction between God and man. 
right? So, so Paul and Barnabas are like, hey, we're men just like you. Don't you dare be thinking we're God. Because why? Because Paul and Barnabas know the one true and living, holy, righteous, glorious God. They know that God, and so they know there's this vast gap between who I am and who God is. Don't you dare be worshiping me or us is the message of Paul and Barnabas. They had a great understanding of the greatness and glory of God. I think that's really where it starts. We're not going to humble ourselves before others and point others to him if we don't have a great idea, a great understanding, a great passion for knowing and making known the greatness of our God. So that's how we're going to end our time together. We're going to respond to this message by singing a song uh, about the greatness of God. Um, But before we do that, uh, let's respond to God in prayer. Oh, Father, um, you're God, and we're not, and that's really good. You're God, and there is no one else and nothing else that could ever compare to you. And so, would you forgive us for chasing after vain and empty things? We turn to you. Thankful for the complete forgiveness and new life that is ours by your grace through faith in Jesus. I pray for those who are here who have not yet turned, repented and put their faith in Jesus. I pray that they might do that even on this day. Knowing that Jesus, you paid it all. We thank you for not sparing your own son, but for giving giving him up for us all. That, that he would bear our sin, our burden on the cross. We're thankful. I pray that you would motivate us from our thankful hearts to keep on preaching the gospel to all kinds of people in all kinds of places. That you would give us the wisdom and compassion to meet people where they are. And that you would give us the words, thank you for your grace when we fail and stumble. Help us to though Humbly proclaim your greatness and our need for a Savior. In the name of our Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you join us as we sing?